In Acts chapter 12, verse 5, we read, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. This is a turning point in Peter's experience here. As we begin reading chapter 12 of the book of Acts, we find that Peter was placed in prison for the second time. He will be arrested for the third time. This chapter begins by speaking about a ruler by the name of Herod who vexed certain of the church and stretched forth his hand to do so. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quartorians of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing in the church of God for him. Herod goal was to vex certain of the church. This is the third Herod that you read about in the scriptures. And they're all connected to the same family. The first one we read about is in Matthew chapter 2. We read here in this chapter, after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the wise men had come to Jerusalem seeking him who was king of the Jews. That Herod heard about this and he and all Jerusalem was troubled about it. And we find where he diligently inquired of the wise men what time the star appeared. And after getting this information, he encouraged them to continue on and to come back and give him information about it. And he might also come and worship the Lord. We know by this, this man was a liar. This man was a deceiver. This man had a desire to take the life of the Savior. But after the wise men were warned of God to go back in a different direction... We find where Herod, in an effort to do this, gave a decree out an order that all the children in Bethlehem from two years old and under were to be slain. He was known as Herod the Great. Now, a lot of times you hear that word great, you may misunderstand what's under consideration. Sometimes the word great just has reference to size, sometimes to accomplishment. In this case, this was a murderous man. So the word great is not used in a positive way. He didn't build the temple in Jerusalem, one of his accomplishments. But we see that murder was in his heart, and he was willing to take the lives of many in an effort to take the life of one. We come to the 14th chapter of the book of Matthew. There's another Herod who happens to be the son of Herod the Great. It's called Herod Antipas. And he was a tetrarch, and that simply meant that he had rule and power and authority over one-fourth of a province. So you'd have four of them. And then you had Pilate, who was the governor over Judea. And we find this man set his eyes upon a woman that was not his, set his eyes upon a woman who was the wife of his own brother, Philip, who also was a ruler of one-fourth of the province. When John the Baptist found out about this, John the Baptist came and declared that this was not right in the sight of God, that you should have another man's wife. Her name was Herodias. Herodias didn't like that, and she had intent with her own self to take the life of John the Baptist, couldn't do it. But there came a day when this man had a birthday, and so he had a big celebration. And you'll find in the scriptures 
two men who had birthdays that resulted in the death of someone. One was Pharaoh, back in the time when Israel was down in Egypt. And we find on his birthday that the baker was delivered out of the prison, but only to lose his head. Here we find he's, Herod is going to have a big celebration on his birthday, and Herodias' daughter dances before him, and he says, I will give you anything you want, your request. And her request was, we want you to take the head of John the Baptist off and put it in a charger and bring it. We find that's exactly what he did. He sent the executioner to the prison where he had apprehended John earlier, and this man took the life of John the Baptist. Now, the Herod under consideration in Acts chapter 12 is the nephew of that man, the grandson of Herod the Great. Now, these men are mentioned in secular history, and they're mentioned in biblical history. And we read enough about them in biblical history to know that this was a scheming and a very uh, wretched family and a murderous family. All three of these Herods committed murder. And now the church is the object of this Herod. So he stretches forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And the first casualty is a man by the name of James. James was one of the original 12 apostles. He was the brother of John. Now the first apostle to die was Judas Iscariot in Acts chapter 1. But James is the first apostle to die a martyr's death. And I think it's interesting also, if you go back and read in the book of Matthew, you'll find where the mother of Zebedee's children, which is James and John, came to the Lord, and she asked him if her sons could one sit on the right hand and one on the left hand in his kingdom. And the Lord replied unto her, he says, you know not what you ask. He said, are they able to be baptized with the baptism I shall be baptized with? In other words, were they, are they able to go through the suffering that I'm going to go through with? And they said, oh, we're able. You know, it always pays you to look in a matter, uh, you know, in detail before you answer so quickly. First of all, this woman had no right. She was totally out of place in making such a request. When the other disciples found out about it, they were filled with indignation against James and John as a result of what her mother had done. But we find that these two sons, and the Lord went on to say, it's not mine to say who will be on the right hand and the left. That's up to my Father in heaven. But he says, ye shall indeed be baptized with the baptism I shall be baptized with. Ye shall suffer indeed for my name's sake. We find James is the first of the apostles to die a martyr's death. Now John will be the last. But we find John in the first chapter of Revelation on the Isle of Patmos. On the Isle of Patmos, uh, that was an island that was under the Roman uh, you know, uh, kingdom at that time. And it was a place where they placed prisoners. So we find that the Apostle John, who God would use to write the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation, finds himself to be a prisoner, but God will use him to write this letter of Revelation and send it to the seven churches of Asia. As far as we know, according to the record, we find that John is the only one of the twelve who died, you might say, an ordinary death. So, they indeed did, did experience the same baptism. The Lord would suffer. He would take that cup and drink on behalf of all the elect family of God. 
That's something James couldn't do and John couldn't do and I can't do and you can't do. But sometimes we are called on to suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord had told his apostles, he says, as they have hated me, they will also hate you. And we see this really begin to manifest itself here in the book of Acts, time we get to this 12th chapter in the book of Acts. Now the book of Acts has 28 chapters in it. And the first 12 chapters is devoted primarily to the ministry of the apostle Peter. The last 16 chapters is primarily devoted to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles, and Peter was an apostle to the Jews. So in these first 12 chapters, and chapter 12 is going to kind of bring an end to what we know and study about the life of the Apostle Peter. And we're going to find where Peter is going to be placed in prison. This is the third time, once again, that he's been arrested and he was arrested for simply carrying out the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was arrested for preaching the gospel of the Lord and Savior, for laboring in God's kingdom here. That's why he was arrested, because it was causing much unrest among the so-called establishment in Jerusalem at the time. They were still wanting to hold on to the law as far as that was concerned. They had rejected the Lord Jesus as the promised Messiah. And the message of the apostles was directly accusing them of taking the life of the Son of God. So we find the apostles had great opposition early on. And so James is taken and James is slain by the sword. Peter is taken, but he's placed into a prison. Now some have wondered, why did the Lord allow James to be slain and yet protected Peter and delivered Peter? I don't really have an answer to that other than the fact that God is sovereign in everything that he does. We see the sovereignty of God in creation. He didn't ask man his opinion about it, did he? In fact, man's the last thing he created. Created man on the sixth and final day of creation. Everything was already in place the time he created man. I think the Lord knew what man would try to do if he put him in here on day one, right? He'd be given all kinds of directions and instructions and everything else. So the Lord just waited on him till he got everything in place. And then on the sixth and final day of creation, he created a man. We see God sovereign in salvation. God is righteous and holy. He's the God of heaven and the God of earth and answers to no man. We see God is sovereign in providence. And here we see the providential dealings of God with his children. James was a faithful minister. By all accounts up to this point, James had been faithful and dedicated. And you would feel like, well, the church needs James. Well, the church did need James. And James produced while he lived here. But I want to say something to you. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to a child of God. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to a child of God. When a child of God draws his or her last breath, all sufferings end. All trials, all tribulations, all problems, all difficulties come to immediate end. They'll never experience another one of them. And at the time that a child of God draws his or her last breath, you know what happens immediately? The soul and spirit immediately depart to be with the Savior. I mean, instantaneous at that time, depart to go back to heaven, go back to God who gave it in the very beginning. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to a child of grace. Oh, it leaves us with sad hearts when our loved ones leave this world. But as far as the individual is concerned, this earthly journey has come to an end that's filled with so many trials and tribulations and perils and one thing or another when that takes place, God just welcomes one of his little children on into glory. 
he welcomed James. He welcomed Stephen that way. As you see Stephen pray in Acts chapter 7, another example of prayer. What did Stephen pray in his dying hour? He's being stoned to death. Stephen prayed that God would not lay this sin to the charge of those who were stoning him to death. One example of praying grace. What an example of the heart of an individual. While he was doing that, Jesus was standing on the right hand of God to receive him right into glory. So James is slain, Peter is taken, placed into prison, and there's four watches of the night, and he put him under the care of 16 uh, soldiers. There were four soldiers in each um, part of the night, each watch of the night, four watches of the night. Peter was chained to two of them, and the other two watched the door. And you say, that's, that's kind of going overboard, isn't it, Brother Lawrence? Well, you see, Herod probably already knew that in Acts chapter 5, Peter, along with the other apostles, was arrested and put in prison there. And that night, an angel from heaven came and simply opened the doors of the prison and told the apostles, go back to what you were doing before you were arrested to begin with. So, they got out, and the report came back to the authorities. We went to the prison to bring the prisoners out to you. When we got there, the watch was there. The prison doors were closed. Everything was secure. When we opened it up, no prisoners. <laughs> no prisoners. So Peter and the other apostles had come kind of a mysterious departure from that prison, did they not? So in this case here, we find where Herod is going to go to a little extra effort. He's going to assign 16 different soldiers to keep him in prison. He's going to put four there at all times. He'll be chained between two, and two will watch the door. But what Herod did not know was going on was the church in Jerusalem was meeting and praying without ceasing. The word but here is used several times in this 12th chapter of the book of Acts. Each time you read the word but, B-U-T, you can know that something is about to reverse. Something about is getting ready to spin around, so to speak. And this is the turning point here because the church was doing something very important. The church was praying specifically for the Apostle Peter. Now, the Apostle Paul oftentimes asked the church to pray for him. We'll look in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul gives you know, the armor of God that we're to put on. And after giving the armor of God, it starts with the head and winds up having the feet shod in the preparation of the gospel of peace. He says, and then that all prayer and supplication in the spirit with all watching and perseverance might be made for all saints and also for me. That I might open my mouth boldly and proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and be given the liberty and utterance to do so. He asked for prayer for that part. Now notice, he says, pray first of all for all the saints. Pray for a dying world? No, all the saints. Pray for all the saints. There are saints in this world that need praying for. He said, you pray for all of them. And that's part of putting on the whole armor of God, you see. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul says to this church, and I know this shall turn to my salvation through your prayers and a supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He said, my deliverance, my salvation, shall come about as a result of your prayers, and a supply of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. He also made a similar request when he wrote the book of Romans. So we find here the church is praying specifically for the Apostle Peter. 
When Peter was arrested back in Acts chapter 5, he was put in the common prison with all the apostles. Well, you know, it's always a blessing when you've got some companionship, no matter what your situation might be. But this time, Peter's placed in prison by himself. And then the Lord takes over. When Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. You go back and read in Acts chapter 5, when the angel was sent of God, at nighttime, it says over there that the prison doors just opened wide open so they could just walk right out. Well, the chains fall right off the hands of the apostle Peter. What was Peter? Peter, Peter was sleeping. Now, why does the Bible tell us Peter was sleeping? He could have just said, and Peter was in the prison chained to two, prisoners, or to two uh, uh, soldiers, right? So why are we told Peter is sleeping? Because when I think about this, Peter knows his companion and colleague, somebody he was very close with. Remember, James and John and Andrew and Peter were fishermen together. That's when we first read about them. They, they were laboring together in the fishing profession when the Lord came along and told them to follow him, make them become fishers of men. Then they'd walk with the Lord Jesus Christ for over three years together. And Peter, James, and John were that inner three that went with the Lord Jesus Christ on special occasions. This was a a very close person to the Apostle Peter, and he knows that Herod has slain him with a sword. Peter may have thought, well, I'm probably going to be let out in the morning, and the same fate awaits me, but not so. Peter is sleeping. Now, when I think about that, first of all, I think about a verse like Psalms 4.8, where David says, I will both, notice this, the word both, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only shall keep me in safety. Now, when you think about that, when you know that the Lord is able to keep you safely in any situation, any set of circumstances, maybe Peter thought about that. I'll both lay me down in peace and sleep. Notice the word peace first and then sleep. It's hard to sleep if you don't have peace, isn't it? Well, he says, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only keepest me in safety. Maybe he thought about Isaiah 41.10, where the writer says, Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will help thee, I will uphold thee by the right hand of my righteousness, thus saith the Lord. Fear not. I'd say being in prison, chained between two soldiers right after my good friend has been slain with a sword, but give me good reason to have some fear, wouldn't you? But he says, fear not, why? I'm with you. That's the first reason. Be not dismayed, why? Because I am thy God. You understand who God is? You understand the attributes of God? He's omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. He says, I will help you, and that right early, I will help you. I will uphold thee, I will help you, I'll strengthen you, I will uphold you by my right hand, the right hand of my righteousness. Maybe he thought about that. See, if you memorize scripture, if you put scripture in your mind and your heart, there are times when you will need it. 
And that verse will come up a lot of times for you if you commit it to memory right in your heart. Okay? Maybe he thought about that. Or maybe he remembered what Jesus told him. In John chapter 21, we find it's about 40 days now after the resurrection of Christ. Christ is about ready to send into glory. But he comes upon his apostles. Remember, this is when the apostle Peter said, Behold, I go fishing. And there were others that said, I'll go right along with you. And we know uh, who several of them were. And so they're out fishing. They caught nothing that night. And we just kind of skip on through this right quickly. We know the Lord come upon the scene, told them to cast the nets on the right side of the ship. And when they did, they caught a great multitude of fish, 153. We're given the exact number. And we find it was certainly a glorious display of God's sovereignty and his power and his omniscience. And then we find where Peter came to the shore and the Lord had fish and everything there for them. Remember that? And then the Lord, in verse 18, the Lord says unto Peter, follow me. He says, when thou was young, thou girded thyself, thou stretched forth thy arms, thou girded thyself, and you went about wherever you wanted to. But when thou shalt be old, he says, another one shall gird thee and clothe thee. Okay, what's the Lord telling Peter? Peter, you're not going to die young. Peter, you're going to die old. Peter, you're going you're to live to be an old man. Well, if that's true, then Peter knows he's not going to be slain by Herod. He knows that. See, the Lord said, you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. Now, here's an example of that. that is examples in many different areas of life. But here's an example of that. Peter did not fear because perhaps he remembered what Isaiah said. Peter says, I'll lay myself down in peace and sleep because, Lord, only thou can keep me in safety. Maybe he remembered that. But I'm sure he remembered the words of the Lord Jesus Christ who just spoke to him just a short time before this. He says, Peter, right now, you gird yourself, you clothe yourself, you go wherever you want. He said, the day's going to come when you won't do that. But somebody else will gird you and clothe you. And we know according to history, not according to Bible history, but according to secular history, or church history outside the Bible that the Apostle Peter was crucified. And they say upside down. I don't know. So I think that's probably the main reason Peter could sleep here. Peter is sleeping here between those two prisoners. Excuse me, between those two soldiers. And then God sends an angel. Now, there are 20 references of angels in the book of Acts. Anybody that doesn't believe in angels just don't believe the Bible. That's all I can say. If you don't believe in angels, you don't believe the Bible because angels just fill the pages of Holy Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. But it's important to know the truth about angels, isn't it? See, angels are messengers. And they're messengers sent from God, sometimes to bring a message, sometimes to deliver God's people, sometimes they sent angels from heaven to, to execute His judgment, His chastisement, sometimes on His own people, sometimes on the enemies of His people. Just a quick summary about angels. We know that angels are created beings. We know angels do not marry, angels do not procreate, and angels do not die. We know that angels, when they appear on this earth, when they come from heaven and appear on this earth, always appear in male form, never female. We also know angels, no, no example of angel in heaven that has wings. We know all that. At least we should know all that. 
We should also know that angels are associated with the devil. In Matthew chapter 25, we find where those on the left hand of God, the sheep, he, excuse me, the goats he puts on his left hand, said, depart from me uh, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So sometimes if somebody calls you an angel, you might know, not know exactly what kind of angel they're talking about. So I wouldn't get too puffed up with pride till you find out exactly who they're having reference to. So 20 different times in the book of Acts, we find where God sends angels down from heaven to do something in particular, usually to bring about liberation, deliverance, and bring a message. We find that in Acts chapter 5 that I've already referenced a couple of times. When the angel came there, not only did the angel open up the prison doors so they could walk out, they came at nighttime. The angel said, you go right back to the temple where you was at when you got arrested. You go right back to doing what you were doing because of what you got arrested for. You go back preaching the gospel. So that's exactly what the apostles did. So Peter is asleep when the angel comes. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. His chains fall off. And the angel said unto him, gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. Now notice this. And so he did. There was no hesitation. Peter did exactly what the angel said. <laughs> so he put on his sandals. He girded himself about with his garment. He says, now uh, cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And which not, that was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. Peter is uh, not real clear at this point. When they were past the first and second war, they came into the iron gate, which leads into the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. The iron gate opened on its own accord. Nobody opened the gate. It just opened on its own. We're spoiling this day and age of these little remotes, aren't we? How we can get our garage door to go up when we want to go up and go down when we want to go down most of the time. Every once in a while, it won't go up when we mash that little button. <laughs> Sometimes it don't come down when we mash that little button. Sometimes it, it goes up and comes down about halfway when we mash that little button, doesn't it? And we've got to figure out what in the world's going on. But I'm telling you here, the iron gate just opened right on its own. Right on its own. And the angel departed because the angel's mission was over. The angel came, did exactly what God sent the angel to do. The angel freed the apostle Peter, told Peter what to do. Now notice, the angel didn't do everything for Peter. He did for Peter what Peter couldn't do for himself. He got Peter out of prison, which Peter couldn't do. But then what Peter could do, the angel let Peter do it. Now I notice that in a lot of miracles that Christ performed. These are what you might call ordinary things, Right? Girding yourself, putting your sandals on, putting your garment around you, following, following the angel. You remember the case of Jairus? He has a 12-year-old daughter, and the Lord raised her from the dead. What did the Lord say after that? He told her family, he says, give her some meat. The Lord didn't do that part. His parent, her parents did, her mother and father did. You remember the time when he came to the grave of Lazarus? What did he tell the disciples to do? Could the disciples get Lazarus out of that tomb, out of that grave? Of course they could not. He'd been dead for about four days. But there's something they could do because the Lord said, roll the stone away. So they rolled the stone away. And after the Lord called his name, says, Lazarus, come forth. He called him personally and individually. And he came forth. He heard the life-giving voice of the Lord in Jesus Christ. And he came out of that grave, out of that tomb. 
What did the Lord tell the disciples then to do? He says, you loose him and let him go. The Lord could have done it, couldn't he? You know, everything the Lord tells us to do, he could do if he wanted to, but he expects us to do something, doesn't he? <laughs> he expects us to do something. And so he tells the disciples, you loose him and let him go. Yeah, you couldn't give him life. I do that. Oh, I wish all God's people would understand that, that only Jesus Christ can give life. Only Jesus Christ can born somebody the Spirit of God. Only Jesus Christ can speak with the life-giving voice that the Lord spoke about in John 5, 25 when he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming now when the dead, Lazarus, shall hear the voice of the Son of God, Jesus, and shall come forth just like he did. Just like he did. But he says to disciples, you loose him now. See, he's got life, but he don't have sight, does he? I mean, he can't see. He's got grave clothes from head to foot. He heard the voice, but he doesn't see Jesus yet until the disciples began to take the grave clothes away from him. And then when they came off of his head down to his neck, his eyes were open. He could see the Savior. And he could see the one who spoke life to him when he was been dead for about four days. When the Lord Jesus Christ fed the multitudes, the 5,000 men besides the women and the children, with five loaves and two fishes, what did he tell the disciples to do? First of all, he told them to tell all the people to sit down, which they did. Then the Lord took the five loaves and two fishes, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples for them to pass out, which the disciples did. Then he told the disciples, gather up the fragments, nothing be lost, which they did. And they gathered up 12 basketfuls. So we find the disciples involved, the disciples very active in doing things, but we see what they couldn't do, what they couldn't do, and what the Lord did and what he told them to do. So God sends the angel to free Peter from the prison. Now the angel was sent to free Peter but the prayers of God's church, my friends, is what fetched the angel. You see that? The prayers of the church fetched the angel. The angel came down and freed Peter. Peter now is told by the angel what to do. And the Bible says that Peter did it. And Peter followed out there and the gate just opened of his own accord. <laughs> Can you visualize that? You know, I read these stories. I try to visualize it in my mind. I try to be, if I was an observer, watching, uh, you know, uh, on the sidelines, so to speak, seeing all this take place, and I see those iron, usually those iron gates, somebody had to go take them and undo them and pull them apart, and nobody's there, and they just open. And they pass through. We come to verse 11. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. Remember, Herod, when he slew James, he saw it please the Jews. That's why he took Peter. But here, Peter says, the Lord hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and the expectation of the Jews. Peter recognizes how he got out of prison and he praises and honors God for it. God delivered me out of the hand of Herod. And when he had considered the thing, now first of all, he came to, now he's going to come to a certain location. When he considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. What does the church do from time to time that's so important? 
They gather together, don't they? That's what you did this morning. This is a building that we met in. It's not the church. The building is not the church. The church are you. You're, you're the church. This, this building never goes anywhere, right? <laughs> it just stays right here in one location. But the church, the people, go in many different directions. But at an appointed time, what's the church supposed to do? The church is supposed to gather together. Gather together. Now, when somebody tells you, when they tell themselves and tell you that they can worship God and serve God by themselves apart from the church just as well as you can, they're just showing their, I'm going to just say it, ignorance of the Word of God. No scripture supports such a notion as that. That's just somebody wanting to walk to their own tune. Disregarding God's Word, what God's Word teaches. In the book of Matthew 18, verse 20, the Lord said, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. It's important for us to gather together, isn't it? And we gather together literally and physically, we gather together in one and be unified according to the Word of God. The church had gathered together in this house. Now, the church in that day met in houses. They didn't have uh, specific locations like this, or rather buildings designated in certain areas uh, you call it a meeting house. In fact, you know, now about everybody calls a building a church, and that didn't used to be the case. It was always called appropriately the meeting house. The church met at the meeting house. That's what we do. We met this morning at the meeting house. This building is the meeting house where the church gathers together to do various things. The church gathers together to sing. The church gathers together to pray. The church gathers together to hear the gospel preached. The church gathers together to worship God, to receive instructions according to 2 Timothy 3.16. All scriptures given by inspiration of God is proper doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. We gather together to be instructed, gather together to worship God, to honor and praise his name the way that God has designed for us to do so, which is in prayer and singing the hymns and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and laying aside, by the way, the first day of the week as God has prospered us financially to support the church and support the kingdom. That's all part of church worship. Church gathers for various reasons. You can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where there was a man who was guilty of fornication. And it seemingly was being ignored in a public manner, in a public way, seemingly ignored. And we find the apostle saying in verses 4 and 5, he says, when you are gathered together with my spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, is to, he says, to uh, cast this one aside or away for the destruction of the flesh and for the salvation of the spirit of God in that day. We gather together for various reasons. So we find the church is gathered together here in the house of Mark. Uh, Mary, excuse me, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. That goes back to our version in earlier where it says in the church, but the church was praying without ceasing. And by the way, look in your middle reference to your Bible there. It will tell you that, that expression, without ceasing, praying without ceasing, means with diligence 
and urgency. So let's think about it just a minute. The church, there's a church now in Jerusalem. And they get a report. One of our apostles has been slain by the sword of a government official. James has been killed. And Peter has been taken and put into the common prison. What did the church do? See, the church, brethren, has never been authorized to take up arms, guns, and swords, and things like that to fight. That's never been the case. Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, Our weapons, our warfare, are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds. The church used the most important weapon I believe it has at its disposal, and that's the weapon of prayer. That's why it was on my mind uh, this day, this morning, I want us to be known as a charitable church, a giving church, a loving church, a ministering church, but I want us to be known as a church of prayer, a praying church. This church was on its knees. This church was praying. They met together. They got the news. They came together. See, it's important for us to pray individually every single day of our life, but we're to pray collectively in the house of God. We put out a prayer list with people's names on it for a reason. I encourage you to take that prayer list home, put it on the side of your refrigerator, a cabinet door, or or on the table where you can see it, maybe on a daily basis. Pick it up just to remind you of the ones we spoke about on Sunday. And sometime during the week, hopefully on a daily basis, but sometime during the week, every single one of us here that's here this morning will pick it up and look at the names and pray for them. And if we do that, you know what the church just got through doing this, will get through doing after this week? The church here will have prayed for everybody as a church collectively for those on the prayer list. Correct? So Peter comes to the house where many were gathered together praying. And this is a little humorous here as we uh, humor in this. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And she knew Peter's voice. She knew Peter well enough to know his voice. You know, sometimes people will call me, and I guess they think I know them well enough to know their voice. (laughs) And I don't every time. Now, sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. But it's kind of hard for me to talk to somebody if I don't know for sure who I'm talking to. I want to be sure I say the right thing. (laughs) So it's always good when you call somebody, go ahead and tell them who you are. Trust me, it's always a good idea. I I try to do that every single time, and I know I've got one of those voices you just absolutely cannot mistake. I I know when I call you, you know who's on the other end of that line. Plus, you've got caller ID, and that's why you don't answer sometimes. I understand that too. All right, so you hear my voice, you know it's me, right? But I don't always, I'm just one. I don't always know who's calling and talking to me, and they start off in a conversation. I'm trying, who is the world is this talking? You know, <laughs> I don't want to respond to, to Joe if I'm talking to Paul, right? <laughs> That's a good way to get in trouble. But she was close enough to Peter to know who he was. Who he was. But she didn't open the gate <laughs> for gladness. But she ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. Peter could get out of prison, but he couldn't get into a prayer meeting. <laughs> and when they sent her, thou art mad, not meaning angry, but 
confused. She can constantly affirmed it was even so, then said they, it is his angel. Well, what a, that was not a good response. If it was his angel, they didn't, he, the angel wouldn't need to knock on the door. If it was his angel, he'd have just come through. So it couldn't be his angel. Peter continued knocking. <laughs> Peter's persevering. And when he opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Now, what had they been praying for? They've been praying for Peter, praying for Peter's release, no doubt. And here he is, and they're astonished. It's like praying for rain, and all of a sudden you hear thunder, and you're amazed. <laughs> I always love the story when you're having a prayer meeting, there's been a drought, and, and people come to church bringing an umbrella. What are you doing that for? If we're going to pray for rain, we ought to uh, show we got faith that's going to be answered, right? We bring an umbrella. When we come to the house of God tonight, we come, it's dry. We leave, it might be raining out there. They were astonished at it. Peter continued knocking. And then they finally opened. And he beckoned them the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. He said, go show these things unto James. Now we got a different James here. We got James, the brother of Jesus. And to the brethren... And then notice how this ends. And he departed and went into another place. What other place? We don't know. He departed and went to another place. Except for a brief mention in Acts chapter 15, this is the last we read of the Apostle Peter. Went to another place. And then there was no small stir. You can imagine. Notice the next verse. Now as soon as it was a day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. What was become of Peter? And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded they should be put to death. And this teaches me here that if you're a soldier keeping a prisoner, whatever he's charged with, if you let him go, then now you must take his place and suffer the consequences of the charge. So what's old Herod do? This old murderous guy, he just slays all his soldiers. But I'm going to conclude here by looking at what happened to Herod. And Herod was highly displeased with them at Tyre and Sidon because they came with one accord to him and having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, set upon his throne, and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It's the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. That chapter begins with Herod stretching forth his arm to vex certain of the church. This chapter ends with an angel of God smiting Herod, slaying him, and the worms of the dust begin to eat his body. Now this chapter tells me the power of a praying church. The power of praying church. The church met, gathered together, and without ceasing, prayed for Peter, and Peter was liberated and taken out of that prison and did exactly what the angel said. Let's make 2024 our theme, you might say, that we are going to be a praying church. We have all these examples of all the 
the, the results of what can be when you have a praying church.